Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. All right, folks, I want to, let's just pray as we go into the Word this morning. Father, we want to thank you just for life, for vitality. Thank you as we look at our little ones, Lord God. It just reminds us of the wonder, the wonder that you desire for us each to walk in, in our relationship with you, because you are an awesome and a wonderful God. So, Lord, we want to thank you that as we approach your word this morning, Father, that you will speak to us, that you will, by your word, Father God, bring illumination to our minds and our hearts, and, Father, that you would bring us into alignment with your thinking and with your ways. In Jesus' mighty name. And the Lord's people said, Amen. Amen. So I want to say to you this morning again, good morning. Goedemorgen, bonjour, dumelang, molweni, sawabona, buenos dias, calimera. And how's it? All of these are greetings in different languages. And I know a few greetings in different languages, which, as you can see, creates the impression that I can speak them, but I can't. And it often surprises people when you greet them in their language, and they go, oh, and they go, ah. <laughs> Everything you just said is lost on me. I just greeted you. Don't take it too far. But languages are wonderful things. They enable us to communicate with each other. And the more we use a language and the broader our vocabulary comes, becomes, the better we are able to communicate. And I want to speak to you this morning about a specific language, and that is the language of giving. And to those of you who come here for the first time this morning, good morning, welcome. <laughs> what a day to have come. No pressure. I just want to put that out there. I want to speak to you this morning specifically about the language of giving, thanksgiving, and what our giving communicates. So I want to say to you this morning, often when we speak about giving thanks or, or doing things, we often say, and rightly so, that it's not all about money. You know, we can give thanks in many ways. We can show appreciation in many ways. And, and, and that is true, and good emphasis needs to be placed on that. But I do want to say this morning, I am speaking specifically about money, okay? In the area of giving of our first fruits, our tithes, our offerings, it's actually Offering Sunday, and uh, I forgot to receive the offering during worship, so we'll do so later. So many things on the agenda this morning. It's very interesting to note that the gospel contains more warnings against money and its misuse than any other subject. We would think that the gospel contains more information about salvation through Jesus than about any other subject. But one in four verses, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, deal with money. One in six verses in the whole New Testament deals with or makes reference to money in some way or form. The first apostle to fall was Judas, and we know the reason. He sold Christ for money that he never lived to spend. The first sin in the early church with Ananias and Sapphira had to do with money. You see, Scripture has a lot to say about money. Why? Because money is such a divisive object. And we derive so much from money when we have it and when we don't. Our sense of security so often is very much aligned to the status of our bank balance. 
When we have lots of money, when we have enough, when we feel like our bank balances are loaded, we feel a sense of security, a sense of safety in having resources. And when we feel that we don't have enough, we have a feeling of deep insecurity. You see, what, what Scripture tells us about money is that where our treasure is, our heart will be also. In other words, that which we treasure has a way of guiding our heart and our affection. And I want to say this right up front. Scripture creates a healthy tension for us in the area of finances. A healthy tension. When you read the Bible, you will be able to find throughout, from beginning to end, Old Testament and New Testament, that God calls His people into seemingly radical generosity. God calls His people to be people that bless and give in a way that is almost radical. He calls us to generosity and and, and to live in such a way that money doesn't have a hold on us, that we're not striving to gain money. And yet at the same time, God calls His people into seemingly radical provision and blessing. We cannot separate the fact that God desires for His people to be financially blessed and prosperous from the word. There's just too much in there that God says, I want you to walk in financial blessing. Now, perhaps what we need to tweak is our idea of what blessing and prosperity means, because that may well have been perverted. That does not necessarily mean that I have four mansions and 17 Ferraris. And No, no, no. It means that I have an abundance to meet my needs and the needs of others as well. That's the scriptural definition and what it means. But we need to understand that while we serve a God who gives life and He loves to bless His children, the emblem of what we believe still remains the cross. Amen? Amen. And so here we see two things that seem to be conflicting. And the church has done a really lousy job of this. There's this thing out there called the prosperity gospel, which everybody seems to be so vehemently against because they preach that Christians should be prosperous and that God wants His people to be blessed. You know what? That's a scriptural teaching. But then there's the other side of where the pendulum swings this way of the people that say, no, 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 we must give away just about everything. We must be in poverty. And, and, and God doesn't want us to be after financial things and riches and things of this world. We must give and be generous people. And that is also true. And so we have here that these two truths seem to be contradictory or even conflicting. But the Bible and the way we place these together and the way we understand it when our hearts and our minds are rightly aligned with God's ways is that these two truths are complementary. God does, does desire for His people to be blessed. He longs to provide for His children like a good father so that His children can accurately represent Him in generosity and in the grace of giving. I want you to understand that God, as a a father, wants His children blessed. But as a father, He also wants His children to capture His heart and not consume all their their blessings just on themselves, not to be utterly self-centered. That's where the prosperity thing gets perverted. Do you understand? when it becomes all about me and what I can have. God empowers His people through resources to demonstrate His love to the world around us. And what you and I do with our money, with that which God entrusts to us, says a lot about us. It reveals a lot about us. 
It reveals our ability to manage and to steward and to govern. If you cannot manage or govern your own financial resources, you can't govern business. You can't govern people. You can't govern and and handle responsibility well. Because if you cannot handle the fundamental basics of financial management, there's much growing for you to do. It reveals, what you do with your money reveals your level of self-control. Are you, do, you, do you have to just buy everything as soon as you get money? Is, is, the, is your money spent before you get it? Or is there self-control? Are you able to wait and save as opposed to going into debt? Are you able to put away rather than just spend everything you get? It reveals your level of faith and obedience. Faith in God as your provider and your obedience in terms of following the instructions that He gives us in Scripture. It reveals our level of selfishness versus our selflessness. It reveals our level of humility or our pride. What we do with our money and how we use it ultimately reveals what we truly value in our hearts. As I've read already, Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your finance will naturally gravitate towards and follow your affections. Show me your credit card statement, show me your bank statement, and I'll tell you what you value. Simple. Very simple principle. They used to say, show me your checkbook. Nobody has those anymore. I got my checkbook when my wife and I first got married. We opened a check account. It was an exciting time. I finally got a checkbook. I think I've written three checks, and then they stopped using checks. Now, I remember when I got my checkbook, I was still, I I hadn't been ordained. I was a pastoral assistant here at the church. And so you apply for your accounts and they say, what is your job description? I say, I'm a pastoral assistant. They say, oh, we haven't got a list, that in our list. We've got pastor. I said, just put pastor, it doesn't matter. And then I get my checkbook and on every single check it says, Pastor Michael Morris. And I thought, I'm going to be in trouble here. How am I going to explain this to Pastor Andreas? So I took my checkbook and I said, Pastor Andreas, I just want to show you something. It was still Pastor Andreas at that time. It wasn't dad yet. I said this. I told him the story. I went to the bank and now on every check it says here, Pastor. He just laughs. He says, <laughs> mine say reverend. <laughs> your finances will follow your affection. What is truly valuable in your life is what you will invest in. If your personal fleshly appetites are what you value most, that is where your money is going to go. And in the area of giving, the giving of our money, we communicate as much through what we give as through what we withhold. What we do with our money communicates something. That's why giving, I'm saying, is a language. It speaks things. And when God looks at our, at our hearts, at the state of our hearts, one of the key areas he looks at is in our area of giving. You remember Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44, Jesus, uh, Mark relays the story of, of the widow with the two mites, where Jesus was sitting in the temple, and where was he sitting and what was he doing? He was sitting near the offering box, watching the people give. That's where Jesus' attention was. Why? Because Jesus was reading the people. He could see a lot, not only by what they gave, but the manner in which they gave. There, there used to be big um, receptacles, I suppose you'd call them, 
that were made of steel that, that when you put your money in, it made a great big noise. And so if you wanted to be seen and noticed, you would bring your change. <laughs> you would bring lots of coins. You'd put lots of things in, and you'd draw attention to yourself that way. And that's why Jesus, when he's sitting there, he says to his disciples, look at this widow, for she has given more than all of the others. These are his words. He says, truly I tell you, this widow has put into the treasury more than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. She entrusted her provision entirely to God. And Jesus says there's something special there. She has given more. Now, she did not give more in value, but she gave more in sacrifice. Amen? Isn't it very interesting when God calls us to give first fruits, tithes, He doesn't give us a figure, an amount. He gives us a percentage. Because sacrifice is measured by percentage. I want you to give 10%. Now for some, that will be significantly more in value than to some others. But the sacrifice is the same. Amen? You see, there is a difference between easy giving and sacrificial giving. Easy giving is when I give out of the abundance of what I've got and it's not costing me anything. Sacrificial giving, however, is, is the heart of true worship. I was actually speaking to somebody about that this morning, before the service. Sacrificial giving is worship. Worship is found in our sacrifice. And that can apply to all different areas of life, but also to the area of giving. David, when he wanted to make a sacrifice to God, went up on the hill. He said to somebody, I, I forget the, I, I have the reference perhaps somewhere later. Where is it? Let me just see if I have it here. Here we go. I'll use this principle now. He wanted to, 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 to buy a hill to build, uh, to, to sacrifice to God. And he went up to Aruna and he said, I want to buy this, this land. And he said, no, 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 you're the king. And if this is for you and for God, take it. And here, take my oxen and take their equipment. You can use it and do your sacrifice. And David says this to him, No, I will surely buy it from you for a price, for I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. In other words, my worship to God is not cheap. It's sincere. It's from the heart. It costs me something. My, what I give to God communicates something. And, and, and that's, that's the issue that God had with the church, or with His people, with the Israelites in the book of Malachi. He says, you know, even you're bringing me your offerings, you're bringing me your sheep, you're bringing me the lame, the hurt, the wounded. Go and give that to your masters and your lords on earth and see what they feel about that. But yet you bring that to me. Why? Because what is it communicating? It's communicating disdain. It's, ah, it doesn't really matter. God will accept anything. No. What we do communicates something. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Why? Because giving is the language of the heart. It communicates something. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You see, if our giving, especially our giving to God, is done in such a way that, oh, I have to give. If I don't give, someone's going to see or someone's going to notice. We've got the motive all wrong. We've got the ideas about giving all wrong. Our giving should be a joy because it is an act of worship. And if it isn't, don't give. 
because God won't receive it. Oh, man will receive it, no problem. But it's not about man, is it? This is between us and God. Giving is done not from our wallets, but from our hearts. And if our wallets go places and our hearts don't follow, or if our hearts go places and our wallets don't follow, we have a dichotomy. We have something that is dysfunctional within us. And why am I saying this to this group of people who, by and large, are a generous and a faithful, consistently giving people? Here's why. Because even though who are faithful and consistent in their giving can get caught in the rut of giving where it becomes a religious duty, it becomes a religious obligation. I don't even pray when I pay my tithes anymore. I just push the button and it's done, and then I tick that box and I move on to the next thing. No, we've lost the heart of it. And so maybe what I share with you this morning is, is to say, hang on, I'm, I need to remember that when I do these things, they are holy things, and they're communicating something to God. And if my heart is not rightly aligned and engaged in the process, there's no blessing in it for Him, and there's no blessing in it for me. You do not send your service provider a letter of thanks every time you pay your bill, do you? Do you send your insurance company a letter of thanks? Medical aid, thank you so much for just being there, providing me with... You don't. Why? Because you're paying for goods and services. That's a contractual relationship. Our relationship with God is very different. We don't just give Him money as to say, you, you, He's just another one of those service providers. God is not a service provider. He is the King of glory. And our hearts come to Him through our giving, and it communicates something. And I want to give you seven things this morning. I hope you've brought a notebook. Seven things that we communicate through our giving. And the first one of those is love. Love is the primary, or giving, should I say, is the primary manifestation of love. John 3.16, we know it well. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever shall believe in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. The nature of love is sacrificial generosity. This idea of sacrificial generosity, it, it, there's a vivid story in my life of a time of, of, that my mother told me. It's not my own experience, but it, it stays with me because I know the people that were involved. My mother's mother, so my grandmother, went through a difficult divorce. And that meant that there was a long season in my mother's life as a child where things were scant, where provision was, 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 there wasn't great provision. They didn't have much money. But my mother, her sister, my aunt, and my grandmother all shared a love for avocados. My mother, when my father and mother were courting, my dad used to find it very interesting that my mother would go into the shop, they'd get snacks, she'd come out with an avocado, and she'd take out the little, the little stem and begin squeezing it and massaging it and suck out. And at the end, she would have an empty shell with the pip inside. She didn't need salt and pepper, nothing. She just loves avocados. And my mother tells me the story about one day when my grandmother came home with an avocado, and she cut the avocado in half, and she put salt on it and some pepper, and she handed one half to her one daughter and the other half to her other daughter. And my mother tells the story about how she could see my grandmother salivating while she was doing this. And yet she gave both her kids half an avo, and she had none. It's a simple little story. But to me, it paints a picture of what sacrificial love looks like. It says, I am willing to go without so that you can have. That is the love of a mom. That is, that is the love of a father. And that is the love of our God. However, he has to never go without because he is all-sufficient. But you and I in this world, with limited means, 
may very often have to sacrifice and go without so that others may have. You see, too, in order to, ma- in order to maintain a lifestyle and honor God, you may have to adjust one of two things. Either I can't give by, pay my tithes because I need to support my lifestyle, or I'm willing to lower my lifestyle so that I can honor God. These kinds of things come into our everyday And being willing to suffer and go without something so that someone else can have, that is true love. That communicates very powerfully. The next thing that giving communicates is trust. Matthew 6, 31 to 33. Well, the the few verses before that, Jesus goes on about saying, you know, those who are in this world, they go after what they need. They're worried about what they're going to eat and where are we going to stay and what are we going to wear and all of these things. Jesus says to his disciples, and by the way, that's you and that's me. Those are those of us who call Jesus our Lord. From Matthew 6, from 31, he says, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows you need these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And as you do so, all these other things will be added to you. Now, it's really interesting. That doesn't say seek only. What, should I just sit and pray all day? No, you've got to go to get a job. You've got to work. You don't work, you don't eat. You know, you can't be lazy and just expect God to meet you. Oh, I'm not worried. The Lord will provide. Somehow the Lord will provide. It's like the, the, it's like the lady who brought her boyfriend home, and they're getting very serious, and she wants him to meet her parents. And so they have a dinner together, and after supper, the father calls the young man into his study and says, uh, tell me, young man, uh, what, are your, what are your plans for the future? You know, is this, is this quite serious? Yes, sir, I really love your daughter, and I, I, I'm going to take care of her, and we're going to have a wonderful life. And he says, you're going to take care of her? Wonderful. What, uh, what do you do for a living? Well, nothing at the moment. I'm living with my mom, but the Lord will provide. He goes, oh, that's very interesting. God will provide, huh? Yes, God will provide. He says, well, what education have you got? No, I haven't studied yet, um, but, but that's okay. I'm not worried because God will provide. He says, and, and what about in a little while time? What do you do? What can you do? You know, what, you want children? You want to get married? How are you going to afford all of these things? He says, I'm not worried at all, sir. God will provide. And this just went on and on, and this man wasn't getting anywhere with this guy, and so he left the conversation, and in the end of the evening, uh, the, the young man went home, and as he was going to bed... His wife started asking him, saying, so, what do you think of this young man? He says, well, I like him. He's got no job, he's got no education, he's got no prospects, but he thinks I'm God. (laughs) God tells us to seek first the kingdom of God. In other words, to make him our priority. That means that's got to come before everything else in my life. And when I do that, I communicate something to God. I communicate trust. To prioritize the needs of the kingdom above my own requires trust that God will care for me as he promises. God says, don't worry about these things. I will provide for you. I will see to it that you are taken care of. The evidence that I truly trust him is that I'm willing to obey that instruction then. Ultimately, we are trusting that God is who He says He is and that He will do what He will do. And if we do truly believe that, 
The responding action leads us to our next point. Our giving communicates faith. Luke 6, verse 38. Listen to what Jesus himself says. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured or put into your bosom. For with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. The Apostle Paul echoes the same thought. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 8. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. We've already spoken about this. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you so that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. And there we really see just the unfolding of God's idea of what heavenly prosperity should look like. Freely you have received, freely give. When I am willing to give and trust God and put into practice the principle of seed time and harvest, I am trusting that God will honor my seed. There is not a farmer who puts seed in the ground that does not expect a harvest. That is utter foolishness. And so God is saying to you here and to me, when you give, understand that you can sow seed and expect a harvest. Throw your bread upon the waters. You do not know on which wave it will come back to you and how much it will have multiplied. But the idea of trusting that God, as I give, to meet somebody else's needs, you are going to move to meet my needs. I trust you completely in that. Therefore, I am not going to hold on to this out of fear that my needs will not be met. I am willing to hold the resources you give me with open hands and obey you as you call me to be generous. The evidence of our faith is found in what we do with these promises that God gives us concerning giving, concerning generosity. Number four, the next thing we honor through our give, the next thing we communicate through our giving, just gave it away there, is honor. And we spoke already about David and the sacrifice that he made, that he would not give to God that which cost him nothing. Why? Because sacrifice communicates honor. Honor and love are yoked together because that which you love will carry a place of honor in your heart. Honor causes me to adapt my behavior and my perceptions because of somebody else. And it highlights what and who we truly value. Proverbs 3, verse 9 to 10 says this, Honor the Lord, how? With your possessions. You see, sometimes we just want to honor the Lord with our mouths. God says, honor me, not just with your mouths, but with your possessions. With the first fruits of your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. You see, giving thanks to God, here's what it does. It opens up our hearts to Him. You see, His heart is already open to us, but there's something that happens in our hearts when we give to God. Our hearts begin to open to Him. That's why God, in, in the book of Malachi, concerning tithing, it says, pay your tithes and see, try me now in this, and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven. In other words, listen, through Jesus Christ, folks, the windows of heaven are open over you and over me. There is not conditional blessing in Jesus. 
That's not an entirely true statement. As I said, I realized, hang on a second, that doesn't, we don't just get to walk in blessing and live anywhere we want to. Jesus is not, Jesus' sacrifice has taken care of the curse and has redeemed us from the curse of the law so that in Him we may walk in blessing. Now, walking in blessing means we walk in His ways. His blessings flow through ways of thinking and ways of behavior. And when we walk in those ways, we walk in and experience His blessing. We put it to work. Amen? When we give thanks to God, therefore, with our possessions, we begin to put these principles of God's blessing to work. When we give thanks to God, our hearts open up and we receive a harvest, not just of financial blessing, but of revelation and of understanding. God reveals Himself and His nature and His heart to us through the act of giving and receiving. Why? Because I'm placing honor on something. You know, sometimes there's people in your life that can say something, but because of a lack of honor in your own heart towards them, it brushes off, you know, you don't really know. And then somebody else can come along and say the exact same thing, but because they're famous or they've got some degree or they hold a place of reverence or honor in your heart, you go, wow, I've never heard that before. That's amazing. To which your wife says, I've been telling you that for months. You didn't honor it when it came from your wife, but you honored it when it came from so-and-so. And the same principle applies in giving thanks to those whom God has appointed to minister into our lives. To open, it tends to open up our hearts to what God wants to say through them to us. That's why 1 Timothy 5.17 says, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in word and doctrine. Double honor. It's interesting, I... I um, I shared somewhere recently and said, you know, your pastor gets a paycheck, that's honor. The double honor is what you provide. And I want to say to you, you this, as I, every time I talk about this, and we're talking here specifically, one of the ways we can do this is through our first fruits giving. And me touching on this, it's always a sensitive subject. People don't like to talk about giving because it seriously seems self-serving. It seems, oh, this man's just after your money. Well, let me say a few things about that. Number one, honor can never be demanded. It can only ever be freely given. If there's ever somebody in your life that says, no, 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 you need to give to me, run. Honor can never be demanded from somebody. You can respect somebody for their position and their title, but when we're talking about giving honor, we're talking about giving thanks for something that has been imparted and received. We're talking about a very special and a powerful connection here. Number two, your first fruit does not belong to any man. It belongs to God. First fruits are given to God but placed in the hands of His representatives. It's an offering that goes through man to God, in essence, if you study the old way it was. And I also want to say this to you. Because it does not belong to any man, there are various people around you in your personal life and in your spiritual family who minister to you in word and in doctrine and are worthy of double honor. We have people in this place who labor in the Word to present a Bible study week by week. Those men put in time and hours and effort and prayer. They are worthy of double honor. There are speakers who come through this pulpit and minister, not just me, who bless you, don't they? They're a blessing to you. They speak and they minister into your life. 
When we give to them out of the overflow, we say, you really blessed me. You imparted something special to me, and I want to say thank you. God used you in a mighty way, and I want to be a channel of blessing to you as you have been a channel of blessing to me. Now, I am blessing you with material things, but you have blessed me with spiritual things. 1 Corinthians 9, 11 says, If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap material things? There's also those who quietly encourage us towards God behind the scenes. They don't do so publicly. But they point us to God and they minister into our hearts and lives. So I teach on this with boldness because it is a spiritual principle and it is true. And I also teach on it with boldness because I have experienced in my own life the tremendous grace and blessing that this principle has been to me. When you can go to somebody and say, you have been a blessing and I want to bless you. I want to say thank you to you for what you've done in my life. God has touched me through you. And I want to honor God for you. So I want to bless you. It communicates honor to the Lord and to that person. And in doing so, opens our hearts wide to receive from them in a very special and a unique way. I'll read to you a very quick quote. It's, it's just a beautiful quote that captures the heart of what First Fruits Giving is all about. It's by somebody called Dr. S.Y. Govender. And he says this, In giving my first fruit, I want to break the prejudice against the prosperity of the servant of God. Many rejoice in the poverty of God's servants, but God rejoices in the prosperity of His servants. I want God's servant and His family to rejoice. I want them to know that their services are highly valued, and I say to them, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In addition, I am recognizing that their function is different from all other believers. All believers are priests, but not all are sent to me. I am recognizing the unique function of the sent one, sent to bless me and my family. So we have a beautiful principle here where we can bless somebody just because they have ministered a spiritual blessing to us. We convey honor both to God and to those people. Three more things that, are, that our giving communicates. Number one, gratitude. Sorry, you can't say number one. We're number five already. Number five, Gratitude. Psalm 107, 21 to 22. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and for, the, for His wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare His works with rejoicing. This is what we're going to do next week. We're going to sacrifice sacrifices of thanksgiving to declare the goodness of God and the things that He has done and His faithfulness and His kindness. When we do that, we communicate, God, we don't take this for granted. Listen, this is not payment for services rendered, Lord. But this is sincere thanks for what you have done and what you are doing in my life. Number six, our giving communicates obedience to God. Malachi 3.8, concerning the tithe, will a man rob God? Yes, yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? And he says, in tithes and in offerings. In other words, you have withheld that which I told you to give. Simple. Now, tithing did not begin under the law. Offerings did not begin under the law. But when the law was instituted within the, within the ambit of the nation of Israel, there was one tribe who had no means to provide for themselves. And so God commanded the other 11 tribes to provide for that one tribe, the tribe of Levi. 
And so he said, I want you to give your tithes and I want you to give your various offerings. And they became indifferent. And so what they ended up doing is not giving. And that's where God is addressing this. We also see the same principle working itself out in Mark chapter 10. When Jesus comes to a young man and has deep love and compassion for him. Jesus, speaking about the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, what do I have to do to be saved? He says, you have to obey these commandments. And he says, I've done all of that. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. I want you to note that. Jesus loved him. And he said to him, one thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. To use a colloquial phrase, we can, re, we can twist, we can flip that last verse on its head and say that he went away sorrowful because great possessions had him. He was not able to let... Jesus knew what this young man's Achilles was. He thought he was devout. He was convinced that he was pursuing Jesus. And Jesus could see that, but he, there was something under the surface that this man could not see in his own heart. And Jesus pointed it out and called him out on it right there and then. And inasmuch as love and honor are yoked, so too faith and obedience are yoked. This man did not have the faith to trust Jesus for his provision. His trust remained in what he had. That's why he went away sorrowful. It's very interesting when we look at the scripture that it says Jesus loved this man, but he never chased him down. He never went after him and said, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay. I mean, we'll make another arrangement. Maybe just give an offering. That'll be okay. Jesus wanted his whole heart. And when he was not prepared to give it, Jesus said, well, you've made your decision. And point number seven. The seventh thing we communicate through our giving is sincere and true compassion. Psalm 41 verse 1 says, Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord will deliver him. John in, writes in his epistle, 1 John chapter 3.17, he says, But whoever has the world's goods, in other words, adequate resources, and sees his brother in need but has no compassion for him, how does the love of God live in him? You see, folks, the reason generosity and giving communicates compassion is because it goes beyond sympathy. Sympathy says, oh, I recognize your poor shame. Man, you must have it tough. That's too bad. But when I'm willing to engage with you in your situation and to help you in your situation, not necessarily to become the solution in your situation, what am I saying? I am saying you matter. I am saying you are loved. I am saying you are honorable. I am saying you are seen. That's what Jesus did when he was moved with compassion. Now, I also need to say this to you. If you're giving is supporting the bad decisions or the bad lifestyle of somebody else, you're doing it wrong. That's not compassion. That's enabling. And that's manipulation. And Jesus is not talking about that. 
I need to put that out there because many people, oh, I'm giving, I'm giving, I'm giving. The Bible says, you know, if somebody's not prepared to work, they're not going to eat. Sometimes we've got to let people go hungry. Oh, did you just say that? That doesn't mean we don't have compassion on them. But if we become the crutch that they lean on and they become dependent on us, we're trying to take the place of God. We need to teach them how to engage with what they are given, how to honor God. You know, giving doesn't begin when you have lots. Statistically, those who have less give more than those who have much. On average, those who earn less than 10,000 rand a month give, in, within the church give around 8% of their income. That's the average statistics in our country. Those who earn over 80,000 rand a month, on average, give 2% of their income. So this whole idea of giving and generosity has nothing to do with how much you have. It's about learning the basics. So when we are giving, we're communicating compassion towards those who have less, and that is good. But it cannot just end with that. We need to help people out. We need to help them into a place of, of, of trust and of faith. We need to help them into a place of self-sufficiency in the Lord. Amen? Because in this country, we see the product of the other way of thinking. An entitlement that says, you must do for me. And that's never going to work. You won't find that in the Bible. Every one of us is responsible for our own ways. Right, now, let me just share with you three very short points concerning our giving and where we begin with this and how we put this into practice that are helpful and practical. Our giving should always be three things. Number one, purposeful. Know why you are giving. We've just shared some of the things, and this is not an exhaustive list, but we've just shared some of the things that giving communicates. What is your giving saying? So I'm not giving for no reason. I'm not, am I giving because I'm told to? Am I giving because it's expected? Am I giving because I don't feel I have a choice? No, I'm giving for this reason. I'm communicating something and I'm doing it on purpose. It's not out of compulsion and it's not to manipulate. Number two, my giving should be structured, budgeted for. And this is a beautiful principle that, that when I began learning that I can budget for giving, hang on a second, that brings me into a whole different realm of empowerment here. Because for most of my life, giving used to be something you did from the overflow. Oh, and a need arises, and okay, well, if I've got enough, I can meet the need, and if I don't, I can't. But when I began to be discipled concerning the area of giving in my life, I was taught to open a separate bank account into which I put money every month. Again, percentage-based, so that as a need arises, I am able to meet it. The Bible says, I want you to be blessed. God is able to make all grace abound towards you so that you always, having all sufficiency for all things, may have an abundance for every good work. God says, I will bless your barns. So I had to create a barn for God to bless. Amen? And listen, I'm not talking about huge, huge streams of revenue, but I'm talking about the principle that when we structure our giving, first fruits tithes, offerings, poor and compassion, seed. However the Lord leads you, we can engage with the principle of giving and sowing and reaping and giving and sowing and reaping on a perpetual basis so that it grows. Purposeful, structured, and faith-filled. That's the third one. If our giving is not filled with faith, it does not honor God. It does not change anything really. 
It deprives of us, us of some resources and enriches somebody else with some resources. But there's no spiritual communication. There's no heart communication, which is the primary thing. And so I hope those three points are really helpful for you, that as you look at your own situation, as you look at your own finances, you say, all right, why are we doing what we're doing? And we revisit that. And, and I encourage you to revisit that every time you pay your tithes. Every time the opportunity to give comes, it gives me an opportunity to revisit the purpose for why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I get to structure my life in such a way that I can honor the principles of God in good times and in bad times, when I have an abundance and when things are lean. Because, hey, listen, financial resources are seasonal things, aren't they? Things happen. Unexpected expenses creep up. And sometimes we have abundance and sometimes we have lack. But I will say this to you. I have found that God is faithful always. That when we honor Him and when we give as He teaches us to give, we release His grace, His blessing, His provision to other people for them to experience what the kindness of God looks like. God honors and rewards that with a level of kindness that goes beyond our own imagination. God is faithful. And so I hope what I shared this morning has been an encouragement to you. That when, we commun- when we're giving, we're communicating something. It's a language we get to speak. So let's, let's close in prayer this morning. Our Father God, we want to thank you today for your blessing upon our lives because of Jesus. We want to thank you that the power of the curse is broken. We want to thank you that the devourer is rebuked for our sakes. And therefore, we thank you, Lord God, that you enable us to walk in blessing and prosperity, that we may be shining lights in the world around us. Lord, in the season where you're calling us to arise and to shine, we we realize that this includes every part of our lives. And so, Father, this morning as we hear this word, if you're calling us to a higher dimension of generosity, we want to thank you for the grace now to enter into that. When you reminded us, Lord God, about the reasons why we give and what we communicate, God, I want to thank you that you are aligning our hearts with what may have become a stale practice. But in all these things, Father God, we want to thank you that even as we prepare our hearts for next week for our special offering, Lord God, we want to thank you that we have an opportunity to communicate to you blessing thankfulness and gratitude. We have an opportunity, Lord God, to put our trust in you afresh and apply our faith in the area of our finances and resources. So God, we bless you and we thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for those who have brought and prepared their offering. And I bless every seed sown this morning in the name of Jesus. I pray an abundant harvest and blessing that would be put into place and into motion. Father God, that will be a perpetual blessing of sowing and reaping and sowing and reaping in the lives of your people. We thank you that you have entrusted us with resources that give us options, and the first option we choose is to glorify you. So we bless you for this morning. Thank you for what you've taught us. Thank you for what you've reminded us of this morning, our Heavenly Father. May you be blessed and magnified as we give to you of the substance you've entrusted to us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.